Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And what a great show we have for you today. I've been so excited uh, uh, getting ready for t- today's show. I mean, you know, thrill, thrill, thrill that Dr. Richard Moss is joining me here today. He's the author of Inside Out Healing. Uh, and this is Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. How significant is this message for today? Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Moss. He is internationally respected leader in the field of consciousness living, inner transformation, the author of six seminal books on using the power of awareness to realize their intrinsic wholeness, but more importantly, bringing a very significant message to the forefront. And what I mean by that is a significant message for all of us, for people that are looking at their lives in so many ways and wondering, what is it about us that has kept us stuck? What happens to our bodies, the physical state of who we are, when we just hold on to all of the sludge that has come up in our lives? And more importantly, what if you discover this and you don't know what to do about it? Thank you so much, all of you, for tuning us in and turning us on. I want to thank my very special guest, Dr. Richard Moss, for joining us here today and for taking this topic on. Today, get ready to take this journey with us about what it means to awaken to the power of the present moment awareness, to understand the ego a bit more, to get some emotional clarity, all of these things you know, that are covered in this book and much more. Thank you so much, Dr. Morris. Great to have you in the show. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, uh, let's just start the show off with a a little bit of of a sidebar, if we could. I mentioned before the break, we were kind of joking around when we were doing a a sound check. Um, We were joking around, and you were talking about the Gettysburg Address, and I was saying to you that, uh, okay, you know, I don't sing very well. But I had a moment in my life, uh, and it really directly relates to the book that you've written. I had a moment in my life where, let's just say, I wasn't really feeling very good about myself. And, you know, most people would say, that was your dark night of the soul. Other people would say, oh, my God, you know, you experience more trauma in one year than most people do in a lifetime. So here I was, and I decided as a way to express myself, that I would sing along with fabulous artists, Tom York from from Radiohead, I would sing their pivotal song called Creep. Now, here is a song that came out in the 90s, was an absolute failure, 
uh, in its first launching and, and, and just got prominence this year by so many people picking it up and singing it. But, you know, when you sing a song, Dr. Moss, that says, I am a weirdo, I am a creep, what is going on on the inside of our of our of our bodies and on the outside of our consciousness? Well, when you sing a song like their song, I, I think it's a confession, and and it's and it's a confession of a way of seeing oneself that whether I, I don't think they're singing the songs in, in the way that it, a person that's depressed keeps themselves depressed by repeating inner thoughts like I'm unlovable, I'm a creep, no one cares about me, no, you know, I'll never make it in the world. That would be very destructive. But I think to sing a song like you're describing is a form of confession. It's a form of saying, mm-hmm. look, I'm different. I'm mm. very different. I have different values. There are things that are important to me in this world that is not that are not important to others. You may think I'm a creep. I, I can think of myself that way. But in this instance, I think it was healing. I, and, you know, I have to tell you, I, I got more healing out of recording this song for a couple reasons, and you're probably going to address this. I actually just emailed it to, to Seth. But the, the healing for me that came out of this was, first of all, I'm so self-conscious about my singing ability. And then for me to actually sing that song uh, and, and record it uh, was really quite an act. It kind of moved me. How does... How does an act like that, and many, many others, how does that relate to what you talk about in the book, this awakening, awakening to the power of the present moment awareness? Can we talk about that for a minute? Well, I think for you, if in relationship to, to going beyond a fear, taking a risk, falling into the present moment, not being afraid to be foolish, not being afraid to be seen in, a, in an unknown let's say, in an unattractive un, uh, way, mm-hmm. um, that, that that was liberating. Mm, um, you know, when, when we recognize our shadow, when we recognize that we do so many things that are good, we do so many things to be good, and underneath we also have someone who can be very petty, very jealous, really creepy, and we t- say to ourselves, okay, I'm a creep. That's very integrative. Um, it's, it's, it's really healing, but you, you, you know, you were self-conscious about your voice, so to risk playing with your voice was to just risk making a fool of yourself, and that's tremendously liberating because you didn't. You, you, you just fell into what you were doing, and it turned out that for the ego, this was a risk. For your being, it was not a risk at all. It was liberation. Mm. You know, how would you characterize your transformation, so to speak, you know, from physician to teacher? I mean, wasn't there risk and isn't there today, so to speak, in your own personal journey, in your own personal journey to take on a topic that is so necessary right now? Well, you know, you said that at the beginning of the show, what if you knew you couldn't fail? Yes. I've never known that. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've always, if I knew I couldn't fail, there'd be no vulnerability. Um, it's that I acted as if, no matter what happened, it was more important to me to be true to myself and follow my essence, and as Joseph Campbell used to say, follow your bliss, mm-hmm. and it was to follow the security of the life I'd laid out earlier, from an earlier stage of life, that brought me to be a doctor. Um, I, I just think it, it's the journey that I've taken 
I, I joke often, you know, if, if I if I were to if I have if I die and I end up being buried and I have a tombstone, it's going to say something like this: "The universe was kind to a well-intentioned fool." Ah. I, I mean, I did so many things from such a sense of earnestness and seri- seriousness and commitment, and I started very young. I started. I left medicine after four years. I was 29 years old. I spent time just being alone, and some of my old patients came to me, and they because they wanted to talk with me because they loved talking with me when I was actually a practicing doctor. Back in the days when you might even risk to spend more than six minutes with a patient, you know, I tried to spend as much time as I could with each person, and that actually put me in conflict with the the uh, institution I was working at because I, I needed to make more money, literally. I needed to pass more patients through in a particular period of time, which is one of the reasons I decided to leave medicine. I, I realized if I, I really wanted to spend meaningful time with people. I don't want to make it sound as if physicians who, who spend very little time aren't giving meaningful service. They are, um, but most of our suffering is not physical. When it is physical, a doctor is the first person I'd go to. Most mm. of our suffering is emotional and psychological, and... It can be addressed in therapy, um, but it really is addressed by a person who is deeply empathetic and takes time to listen to you and, and isn't judging you and wants to know your reality as you experience it. This is enormously healing, and that's what yes. I was doing in, in, intuitively. I had a patient walk into me, an older woman, an acupuncturist, and she said to me, I could sort of hear you through the examining, the, the door between the examining rooms. Where did you learn to practice medicine with so much love? Mm. I don't really know what you mean. And then not long after that, I was in the in the emergency room seeing a patient who was a very belligerent and, and threatening, big, big guy. The security guards were there. And I said to him, you know, I'm not sure what to do with you yet. I, I need to examine you, but I, I give you my word, I will not touch you any harder than I touch myself if I were in pain. And as I did that, and he, 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 he made some space for me, and I said, well... I really still can't tell, and the, and the x-rays and things were non-conclusive. I said to him, I think I'm going to just medicate you and observe you for a few hours. And the nurse came back with the syringes, and suddenly a voice in my head just literally said, not the medication, you have nothing to share with this man except love. Mm. And I, I just put my hands lightly on him. I got blazing hot. He went to sleep within seconds. His eyes just rolled back in his head. He went to sleep. He was snoring. And when he woke up a half an hour later, he was perfectly fine, and we discharged him. Oh, wow. No medication. So these were the kinds of things that led me out of medicine. You know, just a remark like, where did you learn to practice medicine with so much love? And Mm. then the voice that said, you have nothing to share with this man except love. And I I said to myself, the heat was extraordinary. If that kind of an energy can come through a human being with another human being, where does that come from? How is that possible? I mean, I was a scientist, um, and I spent the last 35 years of my life learning where it comes from. Mm. You know, one of the things that you, you talk to in the book, and there are many things that we'll talk about today, I just want to let our listeners know, if you're tuning into the Dr. Pat show a little bit late, I just want to tell you that Dr. Richard Moss is joining me here today. Phenomenal book, Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. One of the things that you address in the book, and and it's a term that I think is so perfect, it's called emotional pollution. 
and you t- you go on to talk about her thinking. But what I was really, you know, struck by at, at a number of different places was something you said in a book. And I'd like to read it and 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 chat with you about it. You said, what is most important here isn't to focus on the broader problem of ego or thinking in general. Rather, it is vital to see how you hurt yourself unnecessarily day by day with your own thinking so that you can stop doing it. I I was so struck by that paragraph. I read that about 20 times, by the way. Um, And I I wanted to talk about that. Imagine you were given a very, very, very powerful instrument. Mm-hmm. But in using this instrument, you could do great good and great harm. Well, that's exactly what the mind is. You know, when you think a thought that and repeat it over and over again, out of a, we could say it's a habit, a thought such as, I'm not lovable, or I'm not good enough, or it isn't going to work, or I'm not as smart as other people. Every single time you do that, your brain releases neuropeptides, neurotransmitters, that produce stress as if, as if you were in danger, as if your life were in The body doesn't know the difference between a, a thought and the psychophysiological effect of that thought. And so my work, all of my work these many years, has been against the pollution of the eye, of the true self. Um, we know that that we're polluting the world, and we know that this is dangerous and disastrous, but we don't realize that the the source of all of the the pollution that happens in the outer world is the actual pollution that goes on day after day inside of us. When we say, I don't, you know, you're ugly, you don't care about me, you're not a good person, when we make judgments of others, we poison ourselves. When we make judgments of ourselves, we poison ourselves. When we envision the future in a way that scares us, we poison ourselves. When we hold on to the past in a way that makes us a victim, feel, makes us feel regretful or guilty, we poison ourselves. You know, we never poison anybody else. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words harm us. They never harm anyone else. Someone else might let themselves be harmed by our words, but we really are the ones that are harmed. So we have this enormously powerful instrument of mind that can create a Taj Mahal, that can create a towering skyscraper, that can send human beings to the moon, and yet it can so deeply pollute us emotionally mm. over and over and over again, 10, 20, 50, 100 times a day. And after tens of thousands of hours of doing this to ourselves, literally we become masters of self-pollution. Every human being, bar none, by the age of 10 years old, is a master or 15 years old, is a true master of self-pollution. In the same way that uh, a great musician spends tens of thousands of hours to become a great musician, we've spent tens of thousands of hours creating an ego, and that ego separates us, makes us feel special, either by making us feel inflated and important and puffed up, or makes us feel special in a way in, in which we feel depressed and less than and diminished. And it happens one thought after another, over and over again. And to change it, to change it, we have to be able to witness this. We have to be able to see what we're doing to ourselves, that no one else is really doing it to us, and start to change our behavior. We have to watch our thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that we're talking about this. I mean, it, you know, the the notion of me finding this recording, um, you know, the Radiohead song, of course, and 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 then reading your book at the same time, and really looking at what you call the ego's agenda, and and let me just share this with you, and I'd love to talk about this now. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that one of the verses to the to, to, to this song, you know, goes in uh, over and over and over again and begs the question uh, or, or really asks a statement, I wish I was special. You're so very special, but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What am I doing here? And I was reading this, you know, this song and, of course, familiar with it. And then I read your book about the ego's agenda. Mm-hmm. And basically... That it sounds like the ego's agenda, what it what it wants to do with us is put us in this place where we're longing to be special. We want to be special, just like in this song. You know, we get fooled by being special and ultimately end up thinking we're we're creeps and we're weird. Um and it's and it's a game. It's it's a verse of a song. But I can see how what you talked about in the book, this dance that is done can cause us to be so unclear about life. Is that? Am I on track with that? You're completely on track with that. The song is really interesting because when someone is willing to say, you know, I wish I was special, you are so very special, but I'm a creep, mm-hmm. the, the, it's such a confession of, I think, what I would call depressive specialness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's such a confession of, of how I perceive, let's say, this, the, the artist perceives others in a certain way, sees them as special in an enviable, an enviable way, but is able to honestly say, who I am, I don't know even who I am. I seem to be less than others. I seem to be weird. I seem to be outside the norm. I'm a creep. Um, the ego's agenda, the ego's manifesto, is to make us special. One way or another. It makes us special by telling us that we're more than who we really are. Mm-hmm. Because who we really are, you can't actually say. You really mm-hmm. actually can't. I mean, when we... when I was walking... In, it's, I'm in Colorado. It's been incredibly wet. The wildflowers are just abundant. I mean, it's extraordinary. Oh. And I was with a good friend who knows many of the flowers and was struggling to remember the name of a flower. And I found it so amazing that there's the flower... And it's extraordinary, and the color is extraordinary, and, and, and the light on, the, on it, and, and the green around it, and, and the other flowers in contrast to it. And yet without a name, without a name, there's something as if we don't know what it is. So we're constantly putting names on ourselves when who we really are is unnameable. It's an exquisite, sublime mystery. We are aware beings. But our ego can't tell us who we really are. It has to tell us who we're not. It does that by exaggerating in a positive way or a negative way. It makes us bigger, which I call grandiose specialness, or it makes us smaller, which I call depressive specialness. And and it may feel better to be grandiose, to be better than superior, a ruler, a master of the universe, able to you know affect billions of dollars of business with a single sign of your pen or a single trade in the in the stock market. Um, but in fact, that's not that's not going to give real life to any human being. Uh, it really won't. It, it, just, it just separates us. It separates that individual 
Um, that's what specialness is. It's a way of saying, look at me, look at me, I'm miserable, or look at me, look at me, I'm better than everybody else, or I'm better than you, I'm superior. Um, that's the ego's game. It'll never, ever let us be truly, truly present. I just got an email from a man who's completed my three-year training program. I call it a mentoring program. Mm -hmm. And during the program, this did not happen to him, but just a few days ago, he was just walking Dry Creek, and suddenly all sense of time and space went away. Everything was apparent to him, but none of it had a name. He, he said, I've never experienced my senses so keen. I've never experienced myself as so at one with everything, so complete. In fact, myself didn't exist as an idea associated with my name and my history. I just was aware, alive, in the most extraordinary way. Well, in, in, in the East, they had words for this. This is samadhi or satori. It happened to him spontaneously, as it happened to me 36 years ago, which is why I left medicine and started down a different road. But the point is, who we really are is what that man experienced briefly when he wasn't conditioned by thought, when he was just simply present, simply, fully, profoundly present. And the three years, and, and actually we'd worked longer than that, to get that we worked together before that was to teach him how to drop the thinking and come into the fullness of the immediate moment where the body heals, where the, the, the heart, the soul heals, where forgiveness is completely spontaneous. You don't have to rehearse it and practice it, where empathy is natural, where compassion is natural, and, and self-forgiveness is complete. It's, it's really a place where we heal, which is why it's so important to learn to start over and come back to the present. And that man had that experience. And every athlete mm. has that experience, but it's a different context. They have it in that deep flow while they're doing something uh, without thought. You know, you talk about transmuting symptoms in the book, and I love the term transmutation and transmuting. And I, I would love to talk to you a little bit about, you know, the meaning of that. So much has been said about the law of attraction, about cause and effect, um, about the power of now. But it still seems to be extremely difficult for um, for uh, us as human beings to really understand the power of, as you say, the power of presence. And um, and we're so easily distracted. When you talk about transmuting symptoms, could you tell our listeners what the symptoms are you're referring to? Well, very specifically. I, in, in the years of my work, in my retreats, mm -hmm. I've de dealt with every disease you can imagine. I mean, yeah. people come with, literally, I mean, I, as a physician, I, I, I can't even tell you the list of diseases. Every form of cancer, scleroderma, and Lou Gehrig's disease, and multiple sclerosis, and multiple myeloma, and everything. And there is a body that is the body created by the ego. It's It's a body in which... If you say, I don't want to feel this way, you feel worse. Yes. If you, say, if you simply say, I feel what I feel, you feel better. If you relax into the present moment and, for example, take something as simple as the symptom called tiredness or fatigue. Right, right. There's a gigantic psychological overlay. I should have more energy is a subconscious thought underlying our judgment of being tired. A dog doesn't, or a cat, they don't have a judgment of being tired. There's a wonderful young dog at the house that I'm 
visiting right now. And and the owner was talking about, oh look, and we were, oh look at his energy, so much energy. And she said, yeah, but he can lay down for 12 hours and not get up. You know, a dog, a cat, an animal, they don't have any psychological overlay. If they're tired, they're tired. If it's time to play, they play. If it's time to hunt, they hunt. We have gigantic overlays with every judgment we make of our symptoms. There's actually good literature that shows that when a person labels a symptom and identifies with the symptom, they lose a sense of power and they actually have a decreased life expectancy. And if a person who simply feels what they feel, doesn't bother giving it a label, is in relationship to their sensation without a label, they have a higher life expectancy. Because the symptom, the pain message, for example, is just what it is. Not very much different than the taste of an apple if you bite into an apple. Um, obviously, a taste of an apple is pleasant. Um, pain is not pleasant. Tiredness is not pleasant. But when you take away the words, tiredness becomes a doorway into an experience that's completely different than tiredness. When I'm out there working, traveling, dealing with groups and group energy, and nine hours of time change between my home and where I happen to be in Europe, for example, and I hear myself thinking, oh, you're tired, I stop immediately and I go, now what is it I'm actually experiencing that my mind just labeled tired? I stop the thinking, I go directly toward the sensation, I make believe I do a practice where Okay, suppose I've never felt this before. What is it if I've never felt it before? And that quality of attention, whether it's the tiredness or pain or, or loneliness or a sense of emptiness or fear, absolutely changes immediately, gradually or immediately changes the experience from tiredness to something else entirely. Um, when I'm truly tired, I go to sleep. No ah. trouble. I fall asleep so fast I don't even realize it until I wake up the next day or I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. But I know so many people who can't sleep. And it's because all day long they believe their thoughts. All day long they label their symptoms. All day long they become the victim of the very words and expressions they use to name themselves or mm -hmm. to name their experience instead of actually feeling what they feel instead of actually looking at their own experience without words, without an assumption about where it's going to lead, what it's going to do, without believing they've ever felt it before, because as soon as you say to yourself, I've felt this way before, you're back in your ego. You're back in that labeling mind that separates, that doesn't see anything for what it really is, can't see anything for what it really is. And so that's how you transmute symptoms, symptoms like tiredness, even physical pain. Now, there are levels of physical pain that are beyond the ability. I just got an email, and in fact, it, was, it wasn't even an email. I was Skyping with a 75-year-old woman, now 14 years into cancer, a Belgian woman, and she was saying, sometimes the physical pain is so extraordinary that all the joy leaves me. Yeah. What do I do? And I said, you know, that happens to everyone. That happens to everyone. There is a level of physical pain that... It's as if you stand up so close to a painting that all you see is right, what's right in front of you. You have no idea what you're really looking at. And, and that's why at that point, I, I said to her, you really need to talk to a doctor and get the medications that will help diminish your pain. Um, and 
there's no reason for you to be in extreme pain like this. Um, and so let go of your pride that you can heal yourself on your own and let, let modern medicine help you with your physical pain. And as soon as the pain recedes, her, this woman is one of the most naturally joyous people. I don't know if it's natural. She's taught herself to be joyous. Ah. She's, she's, I've known her quite a number of years, and she's been a student of mine for quite a number of years. And I always say to her, I learn more from you, I'm sure, than you're learning from me. <laughs> I want to just tell everyone, Dr. Richard Moss joining me here today. We're going to take a short break. Um, I am so thrilled to be talking about him. I'm at, talking with him. I'm actually um, thrilled that he's here with a conversation about his latest book, Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. But I want to make sure all of you that are listening to the show go to his website, richardmoss.com, and you're going to be able to see the many, many books that uh, he has certainly uh, written, as well as some of the resources, his e-courses, calendar, where he's going to be, and much more. When we come back, we'll be talking about, you know, this thing we call emotions. What's the difference between emotions and feelings? Do we get confused? And do they run our lives, or is it the mind? Stay tuned, everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Pat Show. We'll be right back. Very special presentation with Dr. Richard Moss. Hi, I'm Paul Bland. I want to tell you about my friend glutathione. Imagine each cell of your body as a room in a house that has a fire in the fireplace to provide heat and energy to optimize your body's functioning. Now imagine that fire getting out of control due to stress, illness, or toxins. This is when your friend glutathione is not produced fast enough to turn the heat down. I found something amazing that has transformed my health dramatically, and I've lost 20 pounds as a bonus. Action Way. Action Way is nature's perfect way of providing the three precursors to maintain high levels of glutathione in each cell of your body. Research has shown that Action Way has the purest ingredients to create glutathione naturally and effectively in your body to control that raging fire. Please call me at 866-831-4330 for more information on Action Way and visit seaandearth.com. That's S-E-A and Earth. to find out how to get your raging fire under control. We are living in a time of great challenges and greater opportunity for transformation. The good news is that public awareness of the need for change is also growing exponentially. More than ever, your transformative message is needed to empower millions across the globe. Hi, I'm Dr. Pat, host of the Dr. Pat Show, and I'm excited about announcing an unprecedented opportunity for growth as we expand our broadcast by launching Transformation Talk Radio and the Transformation Network. Join me and a team of amazing people and host your own show on Transformation Talk Radio. Get ready to expand your horizons, tap into the best listeners anywhere, and join one of the most positive and expansive networks today. Historically, there came a time when the boundary of water was transcended as man developed the boat and the barriers of water became freeways. Join Dr. Pat as she launches this exciting venture. To host a show, call 1-800-930-2819 or email host at transformationtalkradio.com. If you've gone through a separation and feel disappointment, despair, loss of identity, and fear, there is a new pathway to joy for you. SoulWorks Coaching empowers you to go through this separation with soul and hope. So get ready to step into a new relationship with yourself and build a fabulous new life. Contact Monique today at 617-328-7113. That's 617-328-7113. 
and visit soulworkscoaching.com. Give yourself this gift of love today. Life Shifting with Dr. J is a show about living full out and helping listeners to banish their fears, embrace their dreams, and move with greater ease through the ups and downs of our crazy world. Dr. J's Life Shifting Method is all about reinventing and renewing ourselves throughout our lives. Dr. J will have a wide array of entertaining, insightful, and highly credentialed guests who will inspire us with stories of their own life shifts. Listeners will wake up, listen deeply, and reflect about their own lives and are encouraged to call in and get live coaching from Dr. J and his expert guests who are passionate about helping people reclaim lost vitality. Life Shifting with Dr. J is about heartfelt dialogue, amazing life stories, personal struggles of highly successful people, their journeys, their ups and downs, and their triumphs. Listen in to Life Shifting with Dr. J on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You'll be inspired and moved to step up to your growing edge and shift your life into high gear. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for the complete show schedule. What if your best friend could take a peek into the future? Psychic, author, and cosmic coach Dougal Fraser is that friend. He's the queer guy with a third eye. From gossip to gurus, meditation to martinis, the Dougal Fraser Show is a call-in advice show that provides insights and information on creating your best life. Every Tuesday at 10, he'll take calls and talk about love, money, sex, pop culture, and give free advice. No topic is off limits. It's the Dougal Fraser Show. There you go, everybody. That's, uh, that is a Radiohead song. It's called Creep. And uh, what you hear is the acoustical version of that. For those of you that want to hear it without me singing, you can get it off YouTube. Um, Dr. Moss, thank you for joining me here today. Now, you heard the first verse of that. Yes, and it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, in the conversation and what you share in the book, you know, it is a dialogue as if one is having this conversation with oneself. You don't know, actually, if the song is really about that or if it's about another person. But it's so paradoxical in so many ways. It's almost crazy-making, don't you think? 
you know, I don't know if this will be a, a good analogy. I used to lead some of my retreats in wilderness. I called it soul and space. And and once people were accustomed to the, the wilderness area, I'd taken them into, we'd go for some very amazing hikes. And on one of those hikes, there was a woman, quite an amazing woman, wonderful woman, who was just terrified. And she was just saying, I can't do this. I'm going to die. I, I, I can't do this. So I just said to her, okay, say it louder. Sing it. So she started mm. shouting, I can't do this. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I can't do this. And, of course, by exaggerating her fear, by, ex- by, by exaggerating her terror, it became ludicrous. And she, she was able to do it, of course. But she needed to first acknowledge the fear, acknowledge the stories she was telling herself. And in this song, I think that's what's happening. I think, I think what you did, what they're doing in the song, was saying, look, here it is. I want to be special. I w- you know, you're so very special. Um, maybe he's talking about his soul. Maybe he's talking about someone else. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. And, and, and if you sing it and you say it out loud, it has no power anymore. You right. see, deep down there's a fear. The deep down is there's a fear that I'm not special. Deep down there's a fear that I'm a creep, that I'm a weirdo. Um, and the desire to be special, as you and I were discussing in the break, you know, is itself something would absolutely make you suffer. If you were just sitting, looking out the window, you know, just driving your car, going along, and then you noticed somebody and you saw them and they, they looked so good, you know, so fit, just the right outfit, blah, 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 and you, so, and you say to yourself, boy, I'd like to look like that. That thought is suffering. I want to be special like I'm projecting specialness on that person because they look a certain way. Um, that thought is suffering, and, it, and people mm. do that to ourselves. Everybody does it to themselves until they learn not to. Um, I mean, all spiritual practice is ultimately about learning to bring the mind back to the present moment and let it say what it says, uh, let it dance its dance without attaching to it, without believing any of it. So you said we were going to get to the discussion of emotions and feelings, and I'd exactly. like us to open that door. Yeah, I want to. I want to open that door. I mean, in the book, you talk about your feeling nature, but you also, you know, also talk about emotions. And I, honestly, I, I think as a society, we really are a bit confused um, about emotions, feelings, the difference, what we, what we should do, what we, you know, what we should do to heal us, what we should do in society, what we shouldn't do. I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, what when you walk through the door of that workplace, leave your feelings and your emotional baggage home. I mean, we are so trained to withhold and and just bury these things. Um, so how do we get to our feeling nature? How do we get to that place of removing, burning away the non-essential to reveal the core? Wow. Well, when you frame it like that, I, I have to take a step back. Okay. Uh, to, me, to me, when I observe myself and I observe the thousands of people over the years I've worked with, Mm-hmm. The emotional world is created by the thoughts we tell ourselves, and those are thoughts about ourselves or about other people or about our situation or about our career. They're thoughts about our past, and they're thoughts and images about the future. And 
these generate the emotions. And so I would say specifically, you can't have envy without a thought. You can't have resentment without a thought. You can't have bitterness without a thought. So the cognitive process, the thinking, creates the physiological arousal that is the emotion. So we're getting the feeling nature and the thinking nature confused and, and amalgamated or, or tied up together when they, they must be kept separate. The feeling nature is the way that we really know who we are, not who we are so much as uh, a label like I'm a man or a, uh, you're a woman and uh, I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or I'm a lawyer or I'm a dentist or I'm a you know, homemaker or a mother or a father. Not that kind of it. But right now if I say you, to you, how do you know your sense of yourself, you'd immediately listen inside your body and you'd say, oh, I feel awake, or oh, I feel tired, or oh, I feel good, oh, you know, oh, this doesn't feel right, or this feels... So the feeling nature is giving us information about ourselves and the environment we're in, including the social environment we're in, and it's giving that information to us instantly in the present moment through the whole body. And that's very, very different than emotion. The feeling nature is intelligent. It really is intelligent. It's, it's how you know what's not right for you and how you know what is right for you. But anger, not the kind of anger that creates, stop that, you've really trespassed on me and put you in a clear space with someone else, but the kind of anger that goes on is resentment and bitterness and criticism and judgment. And, and then it turns around and becomes attack of oneself, you know, judgments of yourself. That all is created by thought. Now, that's what I mean by the emotional world. We have to take responsibility for emotions. You, what goes on in Congress, the judgments and the attacks between people of different philosophies or ideologies, let's call right. it, to simplify it down to just Republicans and Democrats, that's emotional. That's thought created, and it's insane. It has okay. no basis in reality. It has only basis in concept. Feeling, feeling is so absolutely important. An animal knows immediately when you're in a clear state feeling-wise. There's a lot of work being done with people and horses um, because when, you, when you're scared and anxious, the horse won't respond to you. When you learn to just relax and be clear in yourself, the horse immediately attunes to you and you attune to the horse and you find that your emotional world or your feeling world becomes more complete and more full. So people are learning how to clear their emotional reality by being around animals because the animals sense it immediately and they respond. They, they, they turn away or they turn toward us. If we're emotionally clear, if, if we are really at one with our feelings, an animal is, is even a threatening animal. Um, I once actually literally encountered a mountain lion, but I was in such a clear space that we could stand and look at each other from about six feet away. I jumped up into the crotch of a tree, and it was sleeping at the base of the tree on the other side, and I didn't know it. Amazingly enough, it woke up, and we just looked at each other, just looked at each other, and there was no danger whatsoever. And then I had the thought, I hope he's not hungry. <laughs> and that thought created fear, and in the split second I felt fear, the mountain lion got up and ran away. You know, and I think that we have profound confusion. And yes. we need to take responsibility for our emotions. Those are created by our thoughts and by the way we interpreted, interpret memories and images. And feeling really has to come alive. When you are with someone and you feel good, tell them, it feels so good to be with you. When you hear yourself saying, you don't care about me, and you realize that that thought is making you feel hurt or angry, 
That's your own creation. That's your ego. It's poisoning you. That's the pollution we talked about earlier. So for me, the feeling nature is intelligent. It's a mode of consciousness that we need. It's very, very old. It's much older than thinking. The body itself is even older than feeling. And so in my work, I say the body is the most intelligent part of us. The feeling quality is the next most intelligent. And the thinking part is the least intelligent and youngest part of us. And that's why it gets us into so much trouble. Mm. You know, I wanted to ask you... um I wanted to ask you about love. And um, in, in the conversation of love at a global level, you know, the notion to love each other. And then the idea of being in love and what happens in relationships that we have with people, with our loved ones, our partners, our family, our friends, um, and how we resolve or reconcile the feelings that we might have towards someone and the emotions that may drag along with it. For example, you know, we're hearing a statistic right now in the, in the news that says that the divorce rates have skyrocketed since the economy has gotten better. And, you know, you're speaking with people and what they're saying is, you know, had we had had the money, we would have abolished this relationship. And we're talking about, you know, love and people being together as if we were talking about getting a burger or sitting down and, and getting a salad. And it's really, you know, the question I have is when love is the topic of conversation, how can we get clarity about being in the presence of being in the moment? You know, for me, there's the love we talk about and the love we romanticize and the love we yearn for, but yearning for love is suffering. And then there is falling into the present moment and suddenly feeling yourself spontaneously filled with love. And it can happen outside in nature, it can happen in a park, it can happen just sitting in your, in your house, on your couch. When it happens between two people, when... when with me and my partner, when when we, we fall into the present moment together, purposely, consciously, we choose to listen to each other in a particular way and not interrupt, to attempt to really feel the place that each of us is coming from, taking turns, talking, we call this method counsel, um, which is a, developed by Jack Zimmerman and some other people. Um, then what I find happens again and again is instead of the love that we remember, a completely new love comes and claims us and surprises us. And and so love is ever-renewing, and love is intrinsic and natural to being in the now, to being really present. But there's also other feelings, as, as I write in the book, that happen when we're fully in the now that aren't always loved. But when what's really failed... How, let's put it this way. These divorces... How many stories do you tell yourself about the person you're in love with when you feel love that make you feel good? All day mm. long you say, oh, she's so beautiful, or yeah. she's so understanding, or he's so, he's so dependable, she's so open-hearted, she's so, you know, so relaxed about doing things. And we, just, we tell ourselves one story after another, but by the time a person's ready for a divorce, how many thousands of stories have they told themselves 
about what's wrong with the other person or about what they need or about who's better. And so we kill love. You know, when we fall in love, it's a very unconscious process and it's a blessing. But we kill love. We fall out of love through our own thinking, through our own judgment. And then when you've done that a few times, when you've fallen in love and then you've killed love once or twice, then you start to become, hopefully, not just addicted to having another person, but you just decide, okay, I, I really have to mature now and figure out what it is that I do that kills love. And what we do that kills love is to create, through our thinking, the negative emotions that make us special, either because we feel superior to our partner or inferior to our partner, or we elevate our partner, um, elevate their weaknesses, or we elevate their strengths, or we diminish their, their strengths and elevate their weaknesses. And we do this all with thinking, one thought after another. And so how many stories does it take to create a divorce? You know, I'll tell you, it takes one. One is never enough. It's the yeah. same story told in one form or another over and over and, and over again. and over. Well, that's what I was that's what I was meaning. I mean, you know, there's this story of either not being good enough or being with someone that's not good enough, and it gets told in so many different ways. And the minute it stops, the minute you bring your shadow in to the relationship. You sit down with someone and you say, you know, I've been afraid to tell you this, but I have, I'm so afraid of some of the thoughts I have in my life about you or about me. I'm afraid if I, if I express them, you'll reject me. But keeping them inside of me is poisoning me. And, and you have somebody who's willing to listen to you and bring, and then when it's their turn to talk, her turn or his turn to talk, says, you know, I have a shadow too. I feel like you won't love me unless I'm perfect. I feel like I'm not good enough unless I'm really doing something and making a difference in the world or making a difference for our family. And you and you bring through these fears, these held-in things. I call it the elements of the shadow. And you bring the shadow into the relationship and you make it conscious in the relationship and the relationship heals. The relationship gets stronger. I mean, it's not uncommon after listening to each other this way and bringing the shadow qualities consciously into a relationship, that love suddenly just is there in the field between the two people. It's bigger than each person. It's a field of presence that's more than the presence of one and, and one. It's like one and one equals four. It's, it's, it's a bigger number. It's a, it's a stronger energy. And, and it takes over and it renews and you just have to have trust. You have to trust that you can you can bring the shadow into your relationship. You don't have to hide it because if you hide it, you'll it'll eat you, or you'll project it, and it'll destroy your in you. It'll destroy your relationship with yourself, and and your relationship with the other, your partner, your loved one. Mm. So love is a complicated thing, but love is not something we control. We have to surrender ourselves. We have to we have to stop hiding our shadows. We have to be real, really, truly authentic. We have to listen to each other, and then love will come in. You know, the next thing you want to do is you want to make love. You thought you were going to talk about something so difficult, and you find a constructive way to do it, and in the present moment, you don't interrupt. You really listen. I I can tell you that every person who's listening to us right now and can remember an argument knows that neither person in that argument was listening to the other. I know. Neither, was listening. neither was listening. And so when neither was listening, the energy that was created 
was the energy of distrust and conflict. And when you know that someone will listen to you, not that they necessarily agree, but they're going to listen and feel you as you, and then you're going to listen. And you're going to feel as best you can what it's like for the person who's talking to you, how it's like, what they feel like in themselves as they tell you these things about themselves. Um, and these, this process of conversation in, in this way is never about attacking the other person. It's never about saying, you do this and this and this and this. It's about, I feel. I feel so alone. I feel like I'm not enough. I feel like I don't understand how to please you, or I, I don't understand what I really need. It's about those kinds of things. It doesn't have to have answers. One person doesn't have to fix another person. Um, you just have to listen. Listen with mm. empathy. Listen empathically. And then love comes. It just comes. And that, in, in that kind of context, the divorce rate just simply disappears. I mean, there will always be a point where we outgrow someone and we're not compatible any longer and we part as friends. We part with understanding of why we're parting. We're not, we don't part as enemies. We don't tear ourselves apart in court or with lawyers and squander money and, 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 and traumatize our children um, because we, we want to win. Mm. We want to win emotionally and psychologically. We want to be right. And we want to be validated. And of course, it's false. Mm. So destructive. Thank, what a great conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Moss, for joining me here tonight. Um, I so love your work, and I so... I, I so love this conversation tonight. Thank you so much. It's really been an honor. Well, thank you. You, As I said, you really took the time to read the book, and you're well prepared, and I can feel your sincerity. So you bring so much to your audience. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, I am going to be thinking quite a bit about this. And as a matter of fact, I've asked uh, Seth to put up the archive early on it. So thank you so much for joining me here today. I want to make sure everyone knows how to find out more about uh, your work. Um, Dr. Richard Moss, Moss, my very special guest, you can go to his website, richardmoss.com. And I want to tell everyone, he and I barely touch the surface of this magnificent book. So please make sure that you get a copy, Inside Out Healing, Transforming Your Life Through the Power of Presence. Thank you, Seth, for a fabulous job. Thank you, Dr. Moss, for joining me here tonight. Thank you, Dr. Pat. My pleasure. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. Not me.